If you'd like to be turning to Genesis chapter 48. <clears throat> if you haven't got a Bible with you, or uh, you should be able to follow along on the screen behind us. We're going to read the whole of Genesis chapter 48. We've been looking at this, uh, looking at the, the latter chapters of Genesis, looking at the story of Joseph and Jacob's family. Uh, for some time now, we've come to chapter 48. So I'm going to read that, and then we will... We will keep, we will get going. Sometime later, Joseph was told, your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up on the bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan. And there he blessed me and said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Any children born to you after them will be yours. In the territory they inherit, they will be reckoned under the names of their brothers. As I was returning from Padan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan while we were still on the way, a little distance from Ephrath. So I buried her there beside the road to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, Who are these? They are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, bring them to me so that I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old age and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again. And now God has allowed me to see your children too. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right towards Israel's left hand and Manasseh on his left towards Israel's right hand and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger, and crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly on the earth. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. So he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, No, no, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he and his descendants will become a group of nations. He blessed them that day and said, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing, 
May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, I am about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. And to you, I give one more ridge of land than to your brothers, the ridge I took from the Amorites with my sword and my bow. In around about 1999, God spoke to a church in Sheffield and told them you should buy this building. Spoke to a church that had no money. A church that were just kind of rebuilding, having come out of a difficult time. Still in a difficult time. An opportunity has come up to buy a synagogue. Synagogue that would cost maybe a couple of hundred thousand pounds to buy, but overall around about a million pounds to renovate. And God led them on a journey of prayer and faith and a journey of grace. No pressure to give. We need all this money, but there's no pressure to give. We believe in God's. And the journey continued as work started and bills arrived. But this church followed God and believed him And God provided again and again. God was faithful to us. Now here we are in this synagogue building that we've owned now for around about 20 years. God was faithful. God spoke and he was faithful. Why am I telling you that? What do we see here in Genesis chapter 48? We're seeing the end of Jacob's life next week. I think we'll look at the fact that he blesses all his sons before he dies. We're looking at the end of Jacob's life. We've seen that just before this, he talks to Joseph effectively about his funeral funeral arrangements. Take me back and bury me in Canaan, where my fathers are buried. He's lived for 147 years, 17 of them in Egypt. Now he's coming to the end, and he knows it. And in one sense, we could say there's nothing unusual happening here. He's making funeral arrangements, just before. Now he's having some last words with his loved ones. Nothing unusual happening. But at the same time, these are the moments that the writers of the Hebrews picks up. In Hebrews 11, verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons, and he worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. We see a great moment of faith, or a great example of Jacob's faith. Demonstrating faith as his life comes to an end. In one sense, it's rightly an example of faith in the everyday and the mundane. I'm coming, it's coming to the end of my life. I'm talking to my family. This is what's going on. It's rightly, and in the midst of all that, I'm trusting God. But at the same time, it conversely shows us this is a significant faith-filled moment. And what do we see that Jacob does? He brings a faith-filled blessing. And he remembers, he 
recalls the faithfulness of God through all his life. So what we're going to see, as we look through, we're going to see that Jacob believed God and his promise. We're going to see Jacob recalling God's faithfulness. And we see Jacob trusting God's sovereign choice. You see what happens in these verses? Joseph comes to his father and he brings his sons with him. Joseph rallies his, sorry, Jacob rallies his strength and he sits up to speak to them. He starts to tell them what God had done. And in the midst of that, he, he says, well, now I'm going to, Ephraim and Manasseh are going to be counted as mine. And we'll come back to that. He tells them how Rachel died on the way to Bethlehem. And he blesses Ephraim and Manasseh in this interesting way where he doesn't bless the eldest one who's held out to his right hand. He does this. He blesses Ephraim above Manasseh. It's interesting. But what do we see? Jacob, what we see is a faith-filled blessing. Jacob is believing God and his promise. Let's read the, the verses that it centers around. Verse 15 and 16. He blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly on the earth. Right in this moment of speaking to Ephraim and Manasseh and speaking to Joseph, Jacob's full attention is this. God has been there. God is above all. God is the one who is in charge. God, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd. Jacob's attention is drawn to his God. As he blesses the boys, but even as he starts, even as he starts to speak to Joseph in verse 3, Jacob believes God and his promise. Jacob said to Joseph, verse 3, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz, that's Bethel, in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me and said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples and I will give you this land as an everlasting, sorry, I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. That's how he starts the chapter. That's how he starts the conversation. How does he end it? In verse 21, then Israel said to Joseph, I'm about to die. But God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. And to you I give one more ridge of land than to your brothers, the ridge I took from the Amorites with my sword and my bow. What we see here is Jacob on his deathbed. Jacob knowing my time is done. God's still in charge. God who has promised all of this is going to see it done. God who promised me this years and years ago is still doing what he said he would do. Jacob believes God. Jacob believes God and trusts in his promise. And what a promise. You see, Jacob's, in one sense, he's got faith in the big picture, the God is God and God has a big plan and God is going to do what God has always planned to do. 
the eternal plan of God. That's what this promise is. But you see, if we look at this, we see Jacob's faith. What is it? It's faith for the long term. We can look back and he says, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan. We look back, we look back 20 chapters to find it. That's not a great accurate representation of time. But he was given this promise a long time ago. Jacob has lived with this promise and the promise was given to Abraham, as he was called. The promise was given to Isaac, as he was called. It's been reiterated to Jacob and he's lived with it and he's lived it out. And he's got it right and he's got it wrong and he's gone all over the place. But Jacob, still on his deathbed, has faith for an old promise. A promise that was given long, long ago. You know what? God does what he says. That's what Jacob is believing. That's what Jacob is holding on to. Jacob recognizing, is it a promise that's old? It's been from long before. But it's a promise that goes beyond me. It's a promise that goes beyond my life and I'm still believing for it. A promise that he's seen fulfilled in part or started to be fulfilled in part. What do we see in chapter 47, verse 27? The Israelites have settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there and they were fruitful and increased greatly in number. What's God promised? 48 verse 3, I'm going to make you fruitful. First four, sorry. I'm going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. You see, Jacob's seeing a taste. He's seen something. His family's growing. He's got 12 sons. They've got maybe 50-odd grandchildren and another generation coming and another. This family is growing. God is blessing them and increasing their numbers. Jacob's seen a snippet, a little bit. But they're in Egypt. They're in Egypt. What does the promise say? I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants. He's talking about Canaan, not Egypt. So Jacob, in the midst of a far-off land, can see something. God's faithfulness. God said he's going to do this, and I can see there's fruitfulness. We're growing. There's been lots of ups and downs along the way, but something's happening. But it's not all here. He can still say, and he can see Do you know what? This is what God said, and God will do what he said. In in a foreign land, he knows, I'm going to die, but you're going back there. may take generations, but you're going back there, because that's what God said. That's what God has said. Jacob is trusting God. You see, he's remembering this sense. This is what God said, I will bring you back. In one sense, he, he buys into that himself. Joseph, don't bury me here. Don't bury me here. Take me back to Canaan. But, but more so, he sees the promise. He's passing it on. 
We, as a people, are going back to the land. We are going back. Why? Because God has said it. And God's going to do what he says. God made a promise with us. And he's going to do it. Well, he says at the end, I'm going to die, but God will be with you, Joseph, and take you back to your fa- the land of your fathers. Displays this faith here in saying to Joseph, you know what, I'm giving you one more ridge of land. Where's he giving him land? In Canaan, the land God's going to give them. I know you're going to take this land. I know God's going to take you back there. I know this is going to happen one day. Why? Because God said it. And I believe God. It's great faith that we see from Jacob. I won't see all of this, but I'm believing it still. And I'm, there's a sense of excitement. God's going to do this one day. God's going to take you back. It's okay that I die now, because this is going to happen. And Jacob's passing it on. As he blesses the boys, look, Ephraim, Manasseh. I'm saying boys. Jacob, remembering this, Jacob's been in Egypt for 17 years, and these are the sons that Joseph had before Jacob arrived in Egypt. So they're at least 17. Probably Ephraim's at least 17. Manasseh's a bit older. There we go. They're teenagers or early 20s. He's passing it on to them. You're caught up in this same promise. May God bless you. May he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly on the earth. This is what God's promised. We're going to, be, we're going to increase. We're going to be fruitful. We're going to, the whole earth is going to be blessed through us, through this family, and ultimately through one, through Jesus. But he's catching Ephraim and Manasseh up in the same promise. Of course, as we know, a promise that they won't see in full either. What we see in Jacob is a faith that is for the long term. A faith of what is to come, of what God has said is going to be. Even if I don't see it right now, I know this is what God has said. And this is what God will do. And I'm trusting him. He's trusting in an ongoing promise. I know he'll do it. He will take you back there. And you see, as we look at Jacob caught up in this big promise, trusting in God and what he has said, I'm going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of people and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. We see that this is one and the same promise that we're all caught up in. If we're in Christ, if we've been saved by his death and resurrection, as we've been talking about already during worship, we're caught up in this same promise, this promise that God gave to Abraham thousands of years ago. I'm going to give you a son, Abraham. I'm going to make you fruitful. I'm going to increase your numbers. I'm going to reiterate this to Isaac and to Jacob. Jacob's going to call it to mind here and he's going to pass it to Ephraim. It's going to go down through the generations. We're going to increase and be fruitful. I'm going to take you out of Egypt and bring you into the land. And then your seed, Abraham, through your seed, the whole earth is going to be blessed. Unless the New Testament picks up, who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. 
One day, this whole promise was going to carry on and on and on. We're caught up in this same thing. Called to trust in this same wonderful God, this same God who made this promise to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. You see, here we see Jacob believing God. I trust you, God, and your mighty plan that will go on even after I'm dead. Even after I'm gone, so I'm passing it on. You see, Jacob's got faith for the long haul. Faith that trusts God and what he says he will do and trusts that God has got everything in control, even beyond his own life. And we're caught up in this same promise. What has he said? What has God said? Through him, all the nations will be blessed. What else has he said? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. As Kieran reminded us just now, God works in all things for the good of those who love him. We could go on and on. The promises of God that we see through scripture that he has said. And as we could go on to include what's God said to us particularly, maybe as individuals, maybe as a people, as a church. As I shared at the beginning, he spoke to a church at that point who were meeting in Walkley 20 years ago and said, I want you to have that building. And he did it, but then he's spoken again and again. It was a sent God speaking saying, this place is going to be filled. Given us a, a vision for seven or more or some big number of congregations across the city. Given us a vision of the box being ripped up and us being turned inside out and things being different. Of a sense that there are hidden rooms to be discovered of new capacity and of new vision and of new faith. Spoken to us about this being a place of healing. Spoken to us of things that, quite honestly, we haven't seen yet in full. The question to us is, will we trust him? and what he says he will do. We're caught up in the greatest promise. We're caught up in, the, in, in this wonderful, eternal hope that's in Jesus. It's in this promise that Jacob's referring to. That's in this wonderful story that goes through the entire scripture that Jesus brings salvation. But God's spoken. Will we believe? And we will continue to trust him that what he says he will do. Because he said wonderful things. And Jacob is telling this to Joseph. God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and there he blessed me and said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples. I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. And he starts to talk then about Ephraim and Manasseh being drawn in that they're going to be known as Jacob's children, even as Reuben and Simeon are Jacob's children, there's this blessing that's coming to Joseph and his family 
in a sense to Joseph, you're going to have a double portion. There's going to be two Joseph tribes now. There's going to be the Ephraim tribe and the Manasseh tribe because they're going to be considered as Jacob's sons. And he starts talking about this. And he says to Joseph, yes, any children born after you will be counted as yours and their territory will be part of their brother's territory. But then he suddenly says this. As I was returning from Padan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan while we were still on the way, a little distance from Ephrath. So I buried her there beside the road to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. You see, in the midst of Jacob's faithful and excited speech to Joseph, the pain and grief of losing Rachel is still all so real. You see, as Jacob, we could wrongly think, Jacob, you're talking, you're talking big faith here. You're talking, ah, we're going on into the future. It's not the time to mention your wife dying. It kind of changes the tone. But you see, part of the point here is this. One, lament and grief is very valid. And faith is not a mask to cover it. Faith is not a pretense. Faith is not somehow a kind of, well, we've got faith, so we kind of forget about the sad things. We forget about the bad things and we just have faith in some kind of, I don't know, can't put it into words, in some kind of way that we're kind of above that. We don't need to mention that. It's not affecting us at all because we've got faith. No. Lament and grief is so valid. It's so part of our walk. We see that so much through the Psalms. If I turn to Psalm chapter 13, or Psalm 13, don't usually refer to the Psalms as chapters. We get an example of it. David crying out to God, How long, Lord, will you forget about me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? You have the sense there's real pain going on for David. And it's right in the midst of it there, obviously. And he calls out to God, Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. And then this, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. It's almost wonderful combination. This is so hard. This is so tough. You can see as Jacob reflects, this was so hard. This was so tough. Rachel died as we were still on the way. And I buried her there beside the road on the way to Ephrath. And yet, God, I trust you. You see, Andrew and Rachel Wilson speak about this powerfully in their book, The Life You Never Expected, of how lament 
and grief and crying out and wrestling and working out what on earth is going on is so part of everything. You see, we can mistakenly think that, or even give the impression of that what it is to have faith is just to forget about the things that are sad. And we no, 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 we're going we're gonna to bounce. It'll be fine. We're, we're excited. We're, we're just going to sing another happy song and then it will be all right. You see, the, the wrong message that I can give is that either you've got to pretend. Yeah, I'm, I actually am still happy. Or you've got to give up. Clearly faith isn't for me then. Because this hurts. But the truth is this. Even as Jacob brings light to it here. Faith goes on through it all. It's not covering up the fact that we ever faced anything sad. No, it goes, it takes us through. It takes us through and allows us to walk in the midst of the pain. You see, as Jacob so wonderfully comes to, my God, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, not just when it was good, the angel who delivered me from all harm, and he faced some. You see, even in the midst of his bringing faith and this faithful blessing, there's a right reference. This hurt. This hurt. Rachel died. It hurt. It's an invitation to say, we're not supposed to pretend. We're not supposed to pretend that actually everything's okay. In one sense, it is okay. God's in control, and he's there right at the top, right over everything. That doesn't mean we have to pretend to be happy. I should be okay. You see, we've been there so often in Romans 8, 28, or even the verses just before. And Kieran read them earlier. We know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It's not a glib, kind of throwaway verse. And even more so, if we go back to verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. You see, that's not a, that's not a kind of bouncy, glib verse either. Ah, I consider they're all not worth bothering about compared to the glory. No, he's recognizing there's things that are really tough. He's not lowering how tough the things are. He's raising the glory of what, what is beyond. He's not saying, well, actually the tough things are just, actually they're, they're a lot less than you thought they were. They're just nothing. They're just nothing. Cheer up. And he's saying, no, I see. I see our present sufferings, I know you're going through some. They are tough. But, you see, even though they're tough, they're not, worth, they're not worth comparing. Do you see how big the glory is? Do you see how wonderful God is? Do you see how amazing it is? He's picking it up, if anything. Lament and grief is so valid in the midst of a walk of faith. 
Jacob believes God and his promises, but Jacob is also recalling God's faithfulness. So what he does is essentially, in great summary, tells the story of how God has been faithful to him. I'm going the wrong way. Tells the story of God's faithfulness through his life. You see, Jacob is quite rightly trusting in the big picture and the great overarching promise and plan of God's. God, the God who my fathers walked with. The God who promised me. The God who is going to go on beyond. The God who has this massive plan. I'm trusting him. He is and he will continue to do what he promised. But also, he's been faithful to me. He's been faithful. He has been my shepherd all my life to this day. He's been the angel who has rescued me and delivered me from all harm. You see, Jacob, in real summary here, tells his story. He remembers the story, remembers the story of how God has led him through his life. God appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan. There he blessed me and said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples. I will give you this land. And he has been my shepherd every day of my life. All the days, all the way through, he has been my shepherd. He's been with me. You can imagine what's going through Jacob's head as he's thinking this. All the time. When Esau was not very happy with me, to put it mildly, and I feared for my life, when I ran, when my uncle Laban was busy changing my wages ten times over the whole time I was working for him, as I kind of managed to get my own back on him in take, managing to get all the sheep, as... As I woke up and found that my wife wasn't Rachel, it was Leah. As Rachel died. As my sons did some interesting things. As they massacred the people of Shechem. As Judah got into a right mess. As Joseph was taken. Through all of this, God has been my shepherd all my life. Jacob's remembering the story. And to a degree, he's telling the story. He's been my shepherd, the angel who delivered me from all harm. And of course, we can look in more detail at all those stories that I've just kind of summarized. What ups and downs Jacob has been through. But God has been faithful. It's encouragement as we look at the faith of Jacob Tell the stories. Remember the stories. Remember the great big story of what God has caught us up into. I think Will put it like that. This story, this gospel story that Jesus has come and he died and he's risen again and he saved us. It's because of him that we're saved. Call it to mind. Bring it to mind. Remember it. An encouragement for us to tell stories of God's faithfulness. Like I started, the story of the Jubilee Center. The story of God providing again and again and again. How? 
God's power and his grace. We could tell the story of putting on a week of mission called the Harvest Week back in 2004, five, four. Really should have remembered the date before I started the story. Getting a big tent and going to Hillsborough Park and, and doing all sorts of things there and seeing people come and people being healed and people being saved and, and things birthed into new areas of mini kids starting and more focus on Shirecliff and that area of the city and we can see now, now we meet there and there's all sorts of stuff that happens. And God providing in that week almost to the penny the money we needed. We could tell stories of people being saved, of salvation on Alpha courses or in our workplaces or all sorts of stories of God working in our lives. God has been faithful, but we so easily forget. See, Jacob's bringing it to mind. My God has been faithful. He's been my shepherd all the days of my life. Tell stories of God working in different people's lives, relieving debts, meeting needs, bringing healing. Big stories, big overarching stories, big stories of God's words. This is what God has said and this is what he's done. He's been faithful. Things we might see as smaller. Stories of God's faithfulness in the everyday of life. Stories of hard times where God has been with us. Stories where God's intervened in an amazing way. And stories where God, where we could say with Paul, God said, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm going to lead you through. I'm going to keep walking with you. You know that, where Paul says that in 2 Corinthians 12, he's talking about this slightly mysterious thorn in the flesh that, God, that, that he, he's been given. And he asked God, and he asked him three times, take it away. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. You know, see, we, even then we can think, well, no, I should just tell the stories where God came through in a miracle. God came through and it, suddenly it was better. Suddenly it was good. You know what's powerful? That's powerful. But you know what's also powerful? This has been like this for years. And yet God has led me faithfully over the last 10, 15, 20 years. I know he's still with me. And I know he's still leading me on. And I know he's going to be with me right to the end. That's powerful. Recall God's faithfulness. Tell the stories. That's not just about telling the stories down the front of a meeting here or at Shirecliff. But I can be a part of it. Tell yourself the stories. Remind yourself, God has been faithful. God has been faithful to me. God's been faithful to my friends. God's been faithful to that person I only met that once, but wasn't it amazing what God had done? Tell the stories here. Tell the stories when we meet. Tell the stories to people we meet. Because they're very powerful. This story is powerful as Jacob tells it. Even He doesn't go into any details, but we know. Look. God made me a promise and he has been faithful all the way through. We see, we see the encouragement to the people of Israel as they've come through the Jordan. Set up those stones. And if your children ask you, what are they for? 
Remind them, God's been faithful to us. God led us in here. God brought us through. God did this. God did it. Jacob recalls God's faithfulness. And Jacob trusts God's sovereign choice. See, what actually happens here? It's not a lot happened. Joseph and his sons go to see Jacob and they have a chat. But what happens in the midst of it is that Jacob, A, is saying, you know, Ephraim and Manasseh are going to be counted as mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine, just as my oldest son and my second oldest son are mine, Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine too. So he gives this, this double portion to jo- blessing to Joseph, says, look, there'll be two tribes of Joseph, if you like. And he gives Joseph this extra ridge of land. He, there's a blessing. And then there's this interesting fact that Jacob does this, which seems fairly inconsequential when I just do it like this. But he makes, or he recognizes God's choice. And you see, in that moment, the 11th, sorry, the second son of Jacob's 11th son becomes the oldest son. It's considered the firstborn of Jacob. Ephraim, Jacob's, Joseph's, Joseph's second son, and Joseph is Jacob's 11th son, is suddenly considered the firstborn. We see this in 1 Chronicles 5, that this recognition goes on. Ephraim is getting the blessing of the firstborn. And get to 1 Chronicles 5. Chapter 1 is talking about Reuben. In fact, it's just going to give us a list of Reuben's sons. It said, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, brackets, hang on. He was the firstborn, but when he defiled his father's marriage bed, his rights as firstborn were given to the sons of Joseph, son of Israel. So he could not be listed in the genealogical record in accordance with his birthright. And though Judah was the strongest of his brothers and a ruler came from him, the rights of the firstborn belonged to Joseph. The 11th son. There's some significant moment happening here. The second born of the 11th born is now considered Jacob's firstborn. Ephraim, he's put ahead of his brother, but then they're put ahead of all the other sons. And we see that through the prophets. This significance of Ephraim through the Old Testament. See the prophets identifying Ephraim as Israel when the kingdom splits, when it becomes Israel and Judah... Actually, so often it's referred to as Ephraim and Judah. But we see in this moment, as Jacob chooses to bless Joseph's sons, Jacob's recognizing the sovereign choice of God. God chooses who he chooses. God chooses who he wants to choose. But God wants the second-born grandson, born of the 11th son, to be considered the firstborn, then God can choose him. In fact, you see, even in this moment, Jacob's recognizing this sovereign choice of God. You see, Joseph doesn't quite see it. This is interesting. The one whom God has spoken to in, in great dreams and given him great wisdom of the future, actually, he doesn't see it in this moment. 
In fact, he's annoyed. He's not happy. Manasseh's my oldest son. Why are you blessing Ephraim? You see, Joseph doesn't see it. In fact, we could kind of look on from afar and think, well, if anyone's going to see it, Joseph would probably have seen it, wouldn't he? Joseph's the one, God's given him dreams and visions and, and spoken great wisdom to Pharaoh and he's worked it out. But not this time. So we don't want to put anyone on a pedestal. So, well, Joseph would have got it, wouldn't he? Joseph would have got it. No, Joseph didn't get it. Not here. But God, through Jacob, chooses Ephraim. We don't get to find out what Manasseh thinks of all of this. We're not told. But God chooses Ephraim as he, he chose Abraham out of nowhere. He chose Isaac over Ishmael. Ishmael was older, but God said, no, I'm giving you a son by Sarah, Abraham. And he's going to be the one through whom the promise will go through. He chose Jacob over Esau, albeit all the interesting shenanigans that went on for that to happen. And God chooses Ephraim here for something, for a purpose, for prominence in a particular way. And Jacob recognises this. He replies to Joseph, I know, my son, I know. But this is what's going to happen. God has chosen God, whom I trust. God, who I continue to believe, who will do what he's promised, who will continue to work it out. He's chosen Ephraim for something, to be prominent. I'm blessing you. I'm ble God's blessing you with a double portion, Joseph, and it will be your youngest son who takes the lead. We'll see it through the prophets, as I've said. This prominence of Ephraim and of Judah the one who's strong and a leader will come from him. All throughout, we see this choice played out. This is the truth. Jacob believes God. And God is God. He is faithful. He does what he says. He chooses who he wants to choose. And the message for us overall here is like Jacob, we can trust him and his great faithfulness. We can trust him to do what he has said he will do. Even if some of those things will go on beyond even our lifetimes, God will do what he has said. Even if it takes longer than we thought it was going to, God will do what he has said. That we may declare, like Jacob, God who has been my shepherd all my life. What a God. What a saviour. Amen.